good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning, Connect. How are we doing? Oh, so good to be Sunday. Oh my gosh, it's so good to have you guys in the house. Why don't we just stand together really quick and we're going to pray and get right into worship this morning and just want to welcome you home today. Welcome you home. Yes. So just take a breath. Breathe. Breathe in the breath of God this morning. Breathe in his love for you. No matter what you've done or gone through this week, the Bible says he is madly in love with you. What a great opportunity it is to step into a place where you're already loved. What a great opportunity you and I have this morning to love him back. And that's really what this moment is all about. It's not about worship. It's not about a song. It's not about a beat or a melody. It's about an expression of love back to our King. You know, Jesus gave everything so that we could have an opportunity to be with him, not, not simply to gather together for a church service, but so that we could actually stand together in the presence of a king. And so this morning, that's what we're doing. This morning, we're standing in the presence of a king. You are loved. Today, we have an opportunity to love him back. You know, yesterday we remembered the 20th year of 9-11 and the sacrifices that so many first responders made. And if you're a first responder in this room, and I know that we have many, if you are a, a, an EMT or a, a police officer or a firefighter, if you're a doctor or a nurse, we, we want to celebrate you today. We want to say thank you. We, we appreciate your sacrifice that you give so that people can live. Yesterday I saw, I was reminded, I watched firefighter after police officer after first responder rush into falling down buildings to carry people out on their backs at times. And that's what Jesus did. He left glory and ran into the collapsing calamity of our lives. The falling down wreckage that the enemy had brought and wrought, the fire, the pain, the dust, the brokenness, he ran into that and he picked you up and scooped you up and carried you on the cross. He didn't die simply as uh, for you and I, he died, at, he died as you and I. And so this morning as we begin to worship him, as we begin to praise him, just we're going to sing, we're going to worship through a song called Believe For It. And we're not believing for it because we're good enough. We're believing for it because he paid for it. It's already done. We're just believing for it because he said, I love you so much. I'm going to pay the price so that you can have it. We've said it a thousand times. God's will determines the when. But God's love always determines the truth. He loves you. Father, we love you this morning. Daddy, we've come to praise you. We've come to lift you up. We've come to give you glory. We, we've come not to let anything get in the way of our relationship with you, Lord God. Jesus, we thank you that you rushed into the burning devastation of our lives, the collapsed portions of who we were, the brokenness that the enemy brought, and you brought us, you carried us out on the cross. By your stripes today, we're healed. By your sacrifice, we're set free. By your blood, 
are forgiven and made whole, so we stand before you. We lift up our hands and our hearts and we say, thank you, Jesus. We believe that everything you purchased on the cross is already here. Let your kingdom come this morning, Daddy. Let your will be done. Your children have come to praise you. We give you the glory. We give you the honor. We give you the praise. Come on, church. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen and amen. Come on, can we give God just one shout? One, one hallelujah and glory for who he is. Thank you, Jesus. We believe, we believe, we believe, we believe in you. We believe.
Did you believe 
what you said when you said, I believe it. We're going to pray. Because prayer changes things. Prayer is where burdens are exchanged, where the burdens that's on my hands, I, I exchange with the burden of God's love from his hand to me. Today is a breakthrough day for somebody. Look, we're just going to pray all together. I'm going to pray for you, but I'm going to pray with you. If you're in this room today, and look, if, if you don't feel comfortable with this, it's okay. But there's something powerful that happens when we surrender. If you're in this room today, and you need a breakthrough. You need healing. You need health. You need a breakthrough from Jesus. You need one of those promises to come into your life that God already made and is yes and amen. Can you just lift up your hand for a moment? Just lift up your hand. Just keep it lifted up for a moment. Look, if there are people around you who are quarantined with you, right? If they are, or they came with you, can you lay your hand on that person? Just lay your hand on that person next to you. And if you don't have a buddy who you came with, that's all right. I'm stretching out my hand towards you right now in faith. The Bible says where two touch anything in agreement, it's going to be done by the Father. The Bible says if believers lay hands on the sick, they will get better. That's what the Word of God says today. In the name of Jesus, come on, church. Let your faith arise in Jesus today. Let your faith arise not in Connect Church, not in institution, in a person. Let it rise in Jesus. Father, we give you glory. Daddy, you see every hand raised around this room. You see men and women in agreement touching them for their healing. We believe what your word says by your stripes. They are healed. So we speak to every atom. We speak to every molecule that is out of alignment with your will. And we speak health back into that body. We speak health back into that relationship. We speak freedom from that addiction. Break the chains. The invisible chains that bind. Father, we speak a new job. We speak peace, Lord God, this morning in a mind that is chaotic. There's someone whose mind has been running away from them. They've been complaining about brain fog. They've been complaining uh, about negative thoughts. Today, we speak to that mind and tell it to be submitted to the mind of Jesus Christ. My God is King of kings and Lord of lords. Come on, church. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. Do you believe in this morning? Father, we put on the whole armor of God that we may stand in your presence and stand firm. I pray for every person this morning. I pray for everyone in this room and those watching, those listening today. And we thank that their health, wholeness, Peace and prosperity were paid for on the cross of Jesus. And by your stripes, they are healed. You said it is finished. And so we accept that today in Jesus' name. And everybody together said amen and amen and amen. And if you believe you got healed today, man, you got to give God a shout of glory because there's freedom in the world. I leave the timing up to God. Come on. I leave it up to his will. But the promise is true because his love is faithful. His love is faithful. Did you receive it today? Did you receive it today? Did you? It looks at the woman with the 
issue of blood and says, get up, your faith has made you well. The man with leprosy comes back to Jesus after being healed. The Bible says that he's the only one who returns out of the ten. And he grabs a hold of Jesus to thank him and praise him. And in that atmosphere, Jesus says this. Jesus said, and now I make you well. That means even the scars from his leprosy were gone. You don't have to carry the scars of your past. You don't have to carry the scars of your sin. My God can make you well today. And it's not because you're good enough. It's he's good enough. I don't know about you, but I need some scars off of my life. There are some invisible bondages that need to be broken today. It's not about being sorry that they're in your life. It's about actually being set free by the power of Jesus. Come on, I believe today. I believe, I believe. I'm so glad you're here today. I believe there's power in the room today because his name is Jesus. And if you're a guest, thanks for coming today. Thank you for being a part of Connect Church. And we hope that you consider this home. That's why we designed the church the way that we designed. We want you to feel home today. I'm believing that God has something for you in his word today. So as you're being seated, as we get ready to hop into the word, can you just give somebody next to you maybe an air high five, fist bump? Say hello for a moment. We're wearing masks. Come on, we're not in like cells. Continue to hover here on Nehemiah 
And we're asking God for that same grace because we are talking a little bit today about God's access to us to define who our we in this life is. Who he wants us to share ourselves with, what he wants us to share our callings with, what he wants us to share information with. Absolutely. And letting him be able to say the who, the what, the where, and the when. Which sounds elementary until you superimpose people's names and faces and work scenarios and communities and all the relationships that come with our lives. We realize that what we're talking about is something very complex. And every person that's sitting in this space or watching online is going to have a different scenario in front of them as we look into this portion of Nehemiah when God had put into Nehemiah's spirit a draw, a calling, a a pressing to rebuild the wall. And um, we're going to, by looking through that, we're going to see what God is saying to us about how and when he gets to have a say on who we build, rebuild, or repair or restore the walls of life with. Because the, 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 the pandemic really has re has challenged our sense of we. Yeah, I it's exposed it, it's yeah. challenged it for many of us, it's reframed it. And in, and, and if we're honest from a biblical perspective, it probably has uh, reframed it in ways that aren't always um, what what God has intended. And so a lot of times we get into circumstances, situations in our life where the weeds that we have created and become comfortable with have actually undermined our wholeness, undermined our sense of peace, undermined what God is trying to do. And then we wonder how this happened in our lives. And we are called to be relational creatures. We are called to have, and that's, that's, the, that's the rub because we are meant to have relationships. But it's not just open-ended. It's not just kind of willy-nilly relationship. It is holy, God-breathed, divine-appointed. There are real there are real boundary stones placed in our life by God in order to help us define our we. And when we move the boundary stones, like the Old Testament says, there's issues that come with moving boundary stones. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're there on purpose. They're there to help us. And so that's why Dean and I want to talk to us a little bit today about who is your we? Even from the standpoint of church, who is your we? What is this church just about coming to church? Is it because I'm part of Connect? Or has God, how are you, how are you defining this we here? How are you actually a part of this we? And that, these are the questions that I think will help us as we navigate through uh, the next couple of minutes. And just to bring you up to speed for where we're going to start reading in the text, the text that we're going to be reading today is Nehemiah 2. 16 through 20. And the, 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 the chapter and the couple of verses before that basically remind us that Nehemiah uh, was the king's cupbearer in another place. And he had gotten word that his city and people were in ruin. Yes. And so God spoke to him and asked him to go and lead the people to rebuild the wall. And he went to the king, and he asked, and he received favor. And um, at this point, and before we pick up, 
the, en the enemy in, in people form, <laughs> best way to say yeah, it, right. uh, had only heard that he wanted to help Israel. And that was enough for them to be very uncomfortable and for them to be very, um, they, had their new, they had their new target yes. to which to, uh, to point all their efforts toward. And, you know, sometimes I think that we diminish that if we just want to be a part of something that is restorative to people, it's, if it's not going to affect the whole world, then the enemy doesn't really become bothered with us. You know, sometimes we're like, well, it's just kind of like life happening. The enemy's probably not involved. But that's just not the case. Yep. There's always a reason. There's always a strategy. And just the fact that God had called him to help release and repair both people and his land put him on the radar. Amen. And so we're going to pick up here in verse 16. It says this, the city officials did not know that I had been out there. Just remember that. The officials did not know that I had been out there or what I was doing, for I had not yet said anything to anyone about my plans. I had not yet spoken to the Jewish leaders, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or anyone else in the administration. But now I said to them, after he had inspected and under the you know, the darkness of night. He said this, you know very well what trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Hold on to that as well. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. And then I told them about how the gracious hand of God had been on me and about my conversation with the king. And they replied at once, yes, Let's rebuild the wall. So they began the good work. Oh, now here's my sand ballet. Yeah, yeah, my sand, sand ballets. Yeah. My sand ballet. Go ahead. You know how when you read the Bible, you don't realize that you just rename people because you can't really pronounce oh, totally. what the, is written? This is my moment. But when sand ballet, Tobiah, <laughs> and Geshem, so I, on top of this, I, I can't see, so we're just going to blame that as well. That's good. All right. And they heard of our plan. They scoffed contemptuously. What are you doing? Are you rebelling against the king, they asked? And I replied, the God of heaven will help us succeed. We, his servants, will start rebuilding this wall. But you have no share, legal right, or historic claim in Jerusalem. Yeah, I think I think what I love about this text and what we need to what we get to be able to grab a hold of this morning is we're seeing the 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 two sides of the we. We're seeing how God has appointed a we for Nehemiah to do a to do godly work to restore what the enemy has brought destruction to, and then we see on the other side the enemy trying to distort the we. And we have to understand that this concept goes on in our life all the time because God is trying to rebuild our wall. God's trying to rebuild your holy city that's inside of you. God's trying to rebuild the inheritance, the place of promise, the, the place of kingly rule, the, 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 the place of uh, a breakthrough. That's, that's what God's trying to restore in each and every one of us. Jesus started it on the cross, but sanctification is the outworking of that through day-to-day -day life, through the spirit of God and with the people of God. And so there's always these things going on in our life, the, the establishment of we. And 
we have to recognize that we is one of the most powerful things in our world. Come on. The we has often identified people. We the people. It, 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 has, it has helped people to come together. Yesterday we said we will never forget. Yeah, right. We. Come on. It, it will, the we can get you to do things you swore you'd never do before. That's why your mama said to you, if your friends jumped off a bridge, would you jump off a bridge too? And the inherent answer to that is yes. I know we're all like, no, mama, I wouldn't. Yes, you would. Because you do stupid things. Come on, somebody. We do stupid things when we are together. Yeah. Come on. It helped the Eagles win the Super Bowl a couple years ago. We all we got. We all we need. Yeah. There's power in the we. We are the church. We are the disciples of Jesus. We are the ones who are carry the power, the authority of the Lord God Almighty. We have tasted of forgiveness. There's something powerful in the we. That's why it's so essential that we know and understand how to discern what is the right we, the God we, the holy we, versus what the enemy is trying to do in us. Psalm 133 says, we've said this a million times, but where there is unity, God bestows the blessing in life. Matthew 18, 19 says, where two or more touch anything in agreement, it shall be done by the Father. There's power in godly we. There's power in godly we. That is why the enemy is so passionate about distorting the we. He doesn't try to get you to not have a we. Come on, somebody. He distorts the we. He counterfeits. The enemy will counterfeit everything God wants to use to bless his kids. We should not be shocked that the enemy counterfeits heaven's currency. Whatever God wants to bless you with, the enemy will always try to counterfeit with you. That's why there's there's intimacy. Intimacy is is a blessing from God. But what does the enemy do? He counterfeits it by having sexual intimacy with many. Come on. He will, we should not be surprised when he counterfeits heaven's currency. The reality is in this text that the enemy is simply just trying to redefine the we. And when the enemy redefines the we, it always will under, undermine the health in me. We need to grab a hold of that. Whenever the enemy redefines the we, it will always undermine health inside of me. We've got to gra- wrestle with the truth, my friends, that... There's an inherent need in every one of us, an inherent dynamic need that comes from creation itself. This need to develop, to be a part of, and to establish a we. It it comes from Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. It comes from how we were created. God said, let us make man in our image. Let us, that word us is plural. Let us. That's why God is a triune God, right? It is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They gathered together and said, let us make men and women just like us. We, you and I, were created from within a community. We were placed in the garden as a community, and we were made for community. We came out of community. We were made into community. We were made for community. There's this inherent need inside of us to determine what the we should be. That's why the enemy is so passionate about trying to distort it. That's why Jesus, time and time again, when you read the New Testament, says, I know you've heard it said, but I say to you. I know you've heard it said, but I say to you. He said, I I know what tradition says, but I say. 
I know what your family says, but I say. I know what your generation says, but I say. What is he trying to do? He's trying to establish the holy, healthy we. And when we, when we build a holy, healthy we from what Jesus says, there's a holy, healthy promises that follow from God. See, my friends, the most powerful you and I will ever be is when you and I walk together in holy we. In a holy we. It's why in a holy marriage, that's a we. In a holy church, that's a we. In a holy relationships, friendships, that are we. It's why the enemy always tries to distort it. Do you remember the story in Mark chapter 5 where Jesus rolls up to the demon-possessed dude in the... In, uh, in, uh, in, uh, the graveyard, and they tried to chain him up and everything else. Do you remember the conversation Jesus has with him? The Bible says Jesus rolls up with this dude and he says, uh, what's your name? He's talking to the man. The demon says, we are legion. We are many. He was trying to bring Jesus into the we. The we that that demonic force had created for that man left him in bondage. Left him in a place of death. Left him out of his mind. Come on. Some of us, we've got to recognize, we've got to recognize that when you are in a relationship that is making you lose your mind, where you've got no sense of peace, where you are feeling in bondage to that person, it is not the Jesus' we. It is the enemy's we. If you, come on somebody. If you were in, how, how many of us have relationships where we're like, this, this person's making me lose my mind. They're gaslighting you, making you feel like it's your fault. Always turning it around as they're the victim. It is the enemy's we that he has distorted in your life. The truth is that Jesus, and this is what I think that we as the American church have to grab hold of, the church in America, is that God, Jesus, has set apart divinely appointed relationships and communities for you that will produce health. Divinely appointed. Let me just say this. If you come to church simply because you like to stage the seats or because of your denomination or because of the way that you were raised, you are missing the divinely appointed we that God has in this place. When this man this demon-possessed man stepped into the right we, the right we with Jesus, the right we with the disciples, the right we. Peace came back. Yeah. Yeah. He, he came back into his right mind. Right. See, he didn't need to try, stay with me, he didn't need to try to keep the peace to have peace. Yeah. When he got into the right we, peace was already there. Yeah. Yeah. You will know it's a right we when you step into it and there's peace existing. When you and I are trying to create the peace, keep the peace, make the peace, produce the peace, it's probably not the God of peace that is determining that moment. It's why Jesus, and I'm going to turn this over to Dean in just a second, but it's why Jesus, in Luke chapter 10, sends his disciples out two by two. Were they not good enough preachers, disciples? Were they not strong enough men, or men to be able to do this on their own? No, of course they were. All of them had miracles, signs. One, all of them had been with Jesus. All of them had gifts. Jesus sent them out two by two because he was creating a healthy we. That's how the kingdom moves forward. In kingdom relationships, in kingdom boundaries, with kingdom blessing. 
And then he says, when you go to a city and you go to a house and there's a son of peace there, enter in. But if that person does not accept your peace, that's okay. Leave. Stay with me. Leave. And he says this, your peace will return to you. The peace of the disciples was not based on how that person received it, was not based on what they wanted, was not based on how they reacted. The peace for the disciples was found in living out the we that Jesus had already determined for them. He went on and said, look, if they don't accept it, that's okay. Brush the dust off your feet. Now that sounds a little weird, but it's not when you understand Jewish culture. Because the only way, the, the way that Jewish culture made relationship, made covenant together, is that when they decided the covenant was right, won't they each take off a shoe and exchange shoes. Jesus simply was saying this. When someone doesn't accept the holy, godly relationship that I've appointed, you don't have to yell at them, blog bad about them. It doesn't have to be hostile. It doesn't have to be violent. But you've got to let them know there's no place for covenant here. I can be kind to you. I can be nice to you. I will love you because I'm supposed to love my enemies as well as my friends. But we cannot have covenant because the we has been distorted. Do not let the enemy distort your we. When he distorts your we, he steals your peace. I forgot I was up here to teach. <laughs> I was like, why is he pausing? Oh, that's right, it's me. And I'm you. I mean, when you. Really hard, <laughs> but it's true. Like, when. Don't you feel the weight of what we're saying this morning already? Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, not in a bad way, but like, this is, this is what makes up our lives. Yeah, exactly. What we're talking about right now, this is what affects everything. And, um, you know, we have different, Kyle and I have different giftings, and um, I'm grateful that God continues to teach us how to put them together. And we'll, we'll read a passage, you'll see something, we'll read this, I'll read the same passage, I, passage, I see something different, um, not different, but just different. Yeah, totally. And um, this is one of those, not even, this is one of those times again, and when, I want to go back a little bit, because then this is kind of, like, we can listen to that first part. Be like, that's right. If they don't want to be the we that I need them to be and God wants them to be to me, then whatever. Yeah. But before we get all full of ourselves, let's remind ourselves of what Nehemiah was there to do. Correct. Yes, yes, yes. So good. he was there because God had, it said, had, it says this in one of the scriptures that we read. Then I arose in the night. This is what I was telling you before when he went out. Um, under the dark of night, and I and uh, I and a few men with me, I told no one what God had put in my heart to do. And I think the reason that God really brought that to the forefront of my awareness for this week is because that's not the same thing as God dreams that God gives us for our lives. Because a lot of times when, when when we teach this type of passage or we read this. We think like, oh, so this is one of those times where like Nehemiah had a dream for his life. And he just was needing to see who would get on board with him to make that dream a reality. Because, yep. I mean, I would, I would 
I would take a guess that everybody in this room has dreams for their lives. And I would also guess that some of you are pretty certain that those are dreams that God has put inside of you. But that's actually not what this scripture is talking about. It's talking about what God had put on his heart to do. A lot of times our dreams are me-centric. What relationships I want in my life, what kind of job I want to be a part of, what kind of fill-in-the-blank house I want, life I want to lead. And those are God dreams a lot of times. But this was not a me-centric thing that God had put into his heart. It was for his people. So Nehemiah, in another place, had to be willing to yield to what God needed him to do for his people. I think we get almost distracted. Um, believers talk a lot about their dreams. Disciples talk a lot more about God's will. Yes, so good, dude. Because when yes. we're in tune with what God's will is, so and we good, yield to it, he will give us a passion for it. That's not what we're talking. We're not talking about not having a passion because he was driven to make this a reality, but it wasn't for his benefit. Yep. So if you're asking God, like, well, what do you have for me? What do you have for me? What do you have for me? What do you want for me? You know, do you want me to have a family? Do you want me to have this? Just notice, just take a note of the me-centricness of that monologue, because usually that ends up as a monologue. And God's wanting to have dialogue. So he wants to actually be sharing something with you that he desires for you to do that will benefit his kingdom. It sounds like the same thing, but do you hear what I'm saying? It's not the same thing. And there's a purification that happens to you when you make this transition from being a believer that always tries to set up your dreams to a disciple that is trying to yield to his will. And thank God, the goodness of God still feeds our spirit so that we feel like we have a legacy in that. But a lot of times we're hoping that our dream will make us have a legacy. And God's will gives him a legacy that affects other people, including us. But it's not for us. Yes, correct. It's good, baby. Really good. And another part of the scripture that struck me when we were reading through this is, and it reads like this. And this is, remember when I said, do you remember the bird gate part? And it says, and I went out by night through the valley gate and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and its gates, which were burned with fire. And again, you know, like there's times when you just read through something and you, that's exactly what you do. You read through something. But twice within like the first two chapters, I'm playing with this. I can't apparently do two things at one time. Um, apparently, they had destroyed the walls, but they burned the gates. Yes. And within like the first two or three chapters, God makes it a point to include that twice in such a short amount of time. So why do we know that? So this is how we have to approach the word. Guys, when you're becoming a disciple, you are not 
like on an intake mission to memorize as many verses as you can. That's not what defines us as disciples. Yes, we right. go to his word and we say, why did you put this in there? That's the, that's the most beneficial way to read the word. When you read it, why did you put this part in there? And I was thinking about, you know, walls are pointless without gates. Right. And gates are useless without walls. Yep. Okay, so just vision, envision a wall that you can't ever get to the other side because there's no gate. Or just imagine a gigantic field, completely empty, but this gate sitting in the middle of it. Like, that's the type of thing that you would take a picture of and be like, what's wrong with this picture? Like, why do you need a gate? There's nothing here. I started thinking about gates. And that'd be great to study, to study for people, the different gates and what they were for and also what their, the analogy of it is for us. And you've probably done that. I was thinking about just the purpose of gates. They open and they close. They open and they close. And this is how our lives are accessed. People come in through the gate, and people go out through the gate. People come in through the gate, and people go out through the gate. And sometimes when we have had people that does not, that when it doesn't align the we that we're talking about today, and we've had that action in our life, we spend, and I'm saying we, this is like not just a nice we, this is one of probably the greatest things that I struggle with, Kyle knows better, we talk about this all the time. When, not just being sad, when people that you love have to not be a part of your life, or not in your immediate world, I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about when someone abruptly slams the gate. Our tendency as Christians is to build a better wall, yes. a higher wall, a thicker wall, a more reinforced wall, yep. so that next time this type of thing comes my way, my wall is strong enough to keep out the pain. But the enemy is so aware of the power of the gate yes. that he burned the gates to the ground. Yes. Again, we get distracted, church, by building sometimes the wrong things. You know, it's one thing to clean up debris when something that has crumbled. Yes. It is a completely different thing to clean up when something is complete ash. When something has burned to the ground, everything is affected by it. Everything smells like it. Everything is covered by it. And it's a lot of destruction. So why do we talk about that in terms of the we? Because sometimes we man the wall and we leave the gate up for grabs. But the enemy must know something for him to have burned that to the ground. Wow. Wow. So as you are asking God, what is it that you have on my heart to do? It's not going to just be about the building up or the repairing or just the restoring or the newness of something. It's also going to be how you handle the gate that the enemy has burned you through wow. probably wow. all throughout your life. Wow. Really good. And the last thing about this portion, then I'm going to give it back over to Kyle, is what God showed me about 
how much our we has to be on the altar. And in Nehemiah 2, 11 through 13, it says this, And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done. Oh, I'm sorry, did I say it wrong? Uh, oh, yeah, 11 through 13 six, and 16. I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the others who did the work. The we. Nehemiah clearly had his we on the altar before God. Why do I say that? Because if anybody deserved to bring a couple of people into something at a certain point, it would have been Nehemiah right there. Yep. Because he went out under the darkness of night. No one, no one yet knew, except for the king that had granted him favor. No one knew why he was there. He was there three days. All three days, people are probably like, still here? <laughs> still I, I thought you had a job. It's not here, and it's the cupbearer for the king. So you're still here next day. Still here, huh? Doesn't say anything. Goes out under the, the darkness of night and still doesn't tell anyone. He was sad, it says in Nehemiah 1, he was sad in the king's court. He had never been sad before, so much so that the king said, what is wrong with you? You don't look sick. What is wrong with you? And he shared what was on his heart from God. And that was before he went and inspected all of the wreckage, all of the loss. All of, I mean, I, I can't help but envision what we have seen. Yeah, right? When we've when we have helped build this house and we have experienced, I'll never forget walking through this building post-tornado. There's just things you just, I, I was read, why are they handing us these, um, like these strong battery-operated like flashlights? I remember thinking, like, why, don't, why, do I, why am I going, why am I about to need this? Yep. Flood. Yep. Pandemic loss. We have all experienced moments that it's crushing when you hear about it, but it's life-changing when you see it. And it's usually during those times where we make a mistake about who the way is. And we try to give something to someone that God has not ordained to have the something. So we tell them we bring them in too fast, we bring them in too close. And then the gate gets burned down. Nehemiah decided that God was going to decide who was going to know what and when. And he had to take care of the heaviness that it's like to sometimes carry things alone. There are people in here that are carrying things alone. And you're wanting a supportive friend you're wanting a present spouse. You're wanting a tribe. And God is saying right now today, let me bring the we to you, but you have to be okay with the we at times just being you and me.
serpent well where the serpents drink and the refuge is the crack of life. That that's where he started the restoration process. That's where God starts the restoration process, where the serpent existed and the refuge of our life exists. God starts a reformation process and a restoration process. And I think one of the most powerful things that that, uh, Nehemiah does in this, and one of the things I, I hope you can walk away with today, is that he turns to the enemy. He recognizes the distortion that the enemy's trying to bring, and he says, you have no claim. You have no claim. Did you see the end of that? The whole thing comes down to this. Enemy, you've got no claim. Oh, you may be in possession of land. You may be on certain, you may have taken certain territory, but I'm letting you know, you've got no claim in my inheritance. You've got no right to decide the we. You've got no place in the way that I'm going to live out, build this wall, restore this city, do the work of God, experience the power and presence of my king. You've got no say in how the city's going to be run, how my life is going to be lived. You've got no claim on the inheritance and legacy I'm going to leave. The most important, one of the most important things he does here is say to the enemy, you have no claim. The enemy has no claim over your life, nor do the people who are trying to lay claim to your life, lay claim to your peace, lay claim to your inheritance. It's like the Old West. In the Old West, uh, uh, the gold mine, they would have a claim, and you would have a legal right to mine that section of the river or mine that section of the mountain. And people would always try to come in and jump your claim. And what that means is they'd come in when you weren't looking and try to mine your gold. My friends, there are a lot of people that the enemy has been using to jump your claim. There are people that you grew up with who are jumping your claim. There are family members who are trying to jump your claim. There are people who are trying to get you into wrong agreements that are jumping your claim. When people are trying to make you keep the peace, they are jumping your claim. When they are bullying you, trying to bully you into submission, they are jumping your claim. When they're asking you to just compromise your integrity just a little bit, what's the big deal? Just fit in. This is how work is done here. This is how we do it here. They are jumping your claim. When they're trying to get you to fit in rather than stand up for Jesus, come on, they are jumping your claim. When they are telling you that taking your kids to soccer on Sunday is more important than taking them to the house of oh, they are jumping your claim. When they are telling you it doesn't hurt to look, they are jumping your claim. When they're telling you to text anyone, they are jumping your claim. There are people who are trying to get you to jump the claim. It is not about always sin. It is not always about blatant rebellion. There are things that the enemy will try to distort in you to rob your peace because he's jumping the claim of Jesus in your life. Man, just like you would protect the gold mine that you had a claim for, you better protect your holiness. You better protect your peace. You better protect your marriage. You better protect your mind. You better protect the heart. Come on, the Bible says above all, guard your heart because out of it. That means you better not let someone jump the claim on your heart. How did Nehemiah know he could, that person had no claim? Because the king had already determined a royal we. He had determined 
the royal we. Nehemiah 2, verse 7 says that he wrote letters, a letter that he sealed. Come on, somebody. He wrote letters that he sealed. He wrote letters that he sealed that went before Nehemiah. He didn't just send a letter. Verse 9 says he sent a commander and the cavalry. He sent the horse and rider before Nehemiah. How do he form a we? That the we was the letter from the king, sealed by his ring. The we was the commander of the army of God. Come on, isn't that the picture in Joshua? When Joshua goes into the uh, promised land and he already meets the, the commander of the Lord's army, a theophany of Jesus, the king was already there. The commander was already there. The commander already was in the promises before Joshua showed up. Reminds me of a picture in Revelation 19 when the trumpet sounds and there's a one coming on a white horse. There's a rider coming on a white horse whose name is faithful and true. And out of his mouth comes the word of God and it will strike down the enemies of God. My king has already determined a royal we for you. It is his word. It is Jesus. It is the spirit of God. And those things go before you. You don't have to worry. Oh, I'm not sure how I'm going to figure out this relationship. I don't know how am I going to know if it's right or not. There's the word, come on, somebody, that goes before you. and does not come back void. It does the work it's called to do, and it will prosper. There's a commander who was already in the promise before you got there. There's a horse, come on. There's a cavalry. There's a spirit of God that it was in Jesus is inside of you, the Bible says. You don't have to try to figure it out. The peace is already there. He's already determined the royal we. I love that Nehemiah, we're almost done, but I love that Nehemiah, that none of this we that the king decided came from Nehemiah's heritage. It didn't come from his family. It didn't come from his crew that he grew up with. Do you know how the we was determined? By who the king picked. By who the king picked. He didn't have to fear what, we, what he was going into. The enemy had no claim. My friends, Jesus Christ has laid a claim on your life at the cross of, at the cross of Calvary. He laid a claim. He laid a claim. He laid a claim. First, uh, Colossians 1 verse 20 tells me that through his blood I was reconciled. God made a royal we. He brought me into the we. He had already determined it. He sent a letter. He sent a commander. That's right. And then he sent the cavalry. Yeah. All I have to do is walk with the letter. Follow the commander. And let the cavalry lead the way. He determined it. Jesus laid a, laid a claim on my life. Colossians 5.1 says he set you free. Don't go back to slavery. Right. Right. Reminded me, Proverbs 26, Solomon says, as a dog returns to his vomit, so fools return to their foolishness. How many of us, come on, know that it's vomit but we're still drawn to it. You've got puked on time and time and time and time again, and they made you believe that you
the divine will. The enemy has no claim on your life. The other day, Danielle and I we were driving together. We went to go in somewhere, and she just she said, "Man, I, I'm I'm feeling nauseous. I'm feeling sick. I, I I don't feel it's anything that's physical. I feel it's spiritual." The first thing we did is we rose up and we said, "Enemy, you have no claim." Why are we silent? Nehemiah wasn't silent. The enemy tried to bully him. Five times he kept sending a message. I heard you the first time. My answer's still the same. You've got no claim. Yeah, but you don't understand, Nehemiah. I know you don't understand, enemy. I've got the king's letters. I've got the king's commander. I've got the king's counter. Keep coming at me, enemy. Keep coming at me. Let me loose the horse and ride. Church, why are we backing down? Why do we play small? Why are we so desperate to fit in, to just be accepted? When you've been accepted, there's a claim laid on your life. The king of glory paid a price so you could be included into the family of God. If others don't accept you, brush the dust off. There's a king who does. Everything you need to determine the weight, it's right here. It's right here. The enemy has no claim. The enemy has no claim. Some of us, I'm going to just pray in a second. But some of us need to actually say that. I mean actually say it. Do you know how powerful it would have been if Nehemiah knew it and didn't say it? Not at all. He would have been carrying the letters. He would have had the commander. And he would have had the cavalry to do whatever he needed to do. But if he would have stayed silent, nothing. The enemy wants the church silent. The enemy wants to rob your praise by stealing your peace. He wants to distort your inheritance by distorting your relationships. He wants to rob you of your wholeness by bringing brokenness into the weak. Some of us today, to be honest, it's not my prayer. It's going to change you. I just need to stand up right now and say, enemy, you got no claim. You've got no claim on my marriage, man. You, my, your, your, your husband may have walked out on you. You've got no claim on my husband. Your children may be wandering away from Jesus. You've got no claim on my... The Bible says, the Bible says that children are a blessing of God. He does not get to steal my kid. Come on. You got to understand the generation we're in, the world we're in. No, I do not. I have a sealed letter by the blood of Jesus Christ. I've got a commander that's already in the promised land before I got there. I've got a horse and rider that's ready to go before me and destroy every principality and power that the kingdom of darkness has. We lose when we stay silent. We lose when we're bullied into submission. We lose when we would rather keep peace than make peace. We lose when we let someone else be the king. And they complain that our king. When he's already 
you stand with me. I'm just going to pray with you. Come on, there's no, there, you, enemy, you've got no claim. You've got no claim. You've got no claim. You've got no claim. Enemy, you've got no claim. I will not return to the vomit. Come on. I will not return to the vomit. I'm not going back to that foolishness. Where there's no peace, there's no king. Come on, he is the king. The Bible says, this child, his name shall be wonderful. Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. Of the increase of his peace, there shall be no end. If there's no peace, there's no Jesus. Come on, my God is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. The enemy has been caught. The thief has been caught. you got to tell him, you've got no claim. You got no, you don't gotta move. You don't gotta go to some different country to find your peace. Peace is already here in the name of Jesus. You gotta stop going back to that vomit. Come on. You gotta lose the taste for that vomit. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for a, I pray for a release in this room. I pray. Enemy, we are putting you on notice. You cannot jump our claim. Yes. You've got no claim. You've got no claim to the inheritance Jesus bought. You've got no claim to our marriages. You've got no claim to our kids. You've got no claim to our bank account. You've got no claim to my job. You've got no claim to my character. You've got no claim to my legacy. You've got no claim to the kingdom of God I call the good. You have no claim. Come on, church, say it with me. You have no claim. One more time. You have no claim. Father, hear the cry of your people as they cry out. They have no claim. We submit to you. Come on. Come on, if there needs to be repentance right now, just repent. There's no shame in repentance. The Bible says that all the angels in heaven rejoice when one repents. Come on, you can start a party in heaven right now. Doesn't matter what you've done. There's not one sin too great, more powerful than the grace and love of Jesus. Holy, holy, holy. The horse and the rider. There is one riding on a white horse, and his name is faithful and true. And out of his mouth comes the word, the sword of God that strikes down the foes of the kingdom. Holy, holy, holy is the horse and the rider. Holy is your name, Jesus. Father, today, I thank you that every claim that the enemy has in our life is broken by the blood of Jesus. Jesus, when you said it is finished, it meant it is finished. We believe that is true. We also know, Daddy, that these decisions and these Moments come with broken hearts and broken lives because they have people attached to them, loved ones, friends, people we grew up with, people we've crossed lines with, people we have history with. So first and foremost, we say and ask for your forgiveness. When we've been the ones that have burned down the gate, forgive us. Daddy, when we've gone back to the vomit, forgive us. When we've been the ones that have knocked down the wall, 
Pastor Ron and Pastor Irene after church. Could you just kind of go over there? There's a little table over there. We have two free books. If you're a tween or a teenager, we have a book for you um, that's called Letters to a Gen Zer. And if you're someone like me, over 12, we have a book called The Surprise of Your Life that we would love to pass on to you today, just so you can understand. You've heard a lot today, and it's sometimes helpful to hear from someone else what it is that we're talking about, about walking with Jesus. So if you could just have a seat, we're going to take our offering really quickly, and then we're going to be done yes. so that we can watch the Eagles win. Yes, go birds. So I'm just, I'll just do it real fast. So church. <laughs> you don't trust me? <laughs> not, not for fast. <laughs> this is my offering envelope. It is. Around you on the Ottomans, there's an offering envelope. On the screens, there are ways to give. Your, your tithe and your offering is stewarded well in this house. So our... The way that we do this is that there's gold kiosks at the doors as you leave. We are not going to pass anything around. And we have come to trust you, church, which is a really neat feeling. Yeah. Because a lot of times in church world, you take the offering at the front of the service. And that's just something that God spoke to us at the very beginning of the pandemic to stop doing, and we never did it. And you have been so faithful with that being an act of worship in your own life not an act of giving in front of people. So if you want to give through your phone, uh, all the apps, if you want to give uh, in physical form, there's kiosks there at the doors that you can drop off your offering at. But we are very grateful for the undergirding of this house. We are thankful that you undergird us vocally when we're sharing. You'll never know what that means, yeah, so right? Because when we're talking about what we're going to share all week long, we're just talking to each other. <laughs> that gets slow. Right? Because no, no, you don't no. hear any, you don't have, you yeah. don't hear how it reverberates no inside of people's spirits. So thank you for being a part of this house, present in presence, but also in spirit. Yeah. It testifies to us every single day that you are a part of a holy we, and that we are not in this alone. Thank you very much. We, we treasure it, and we treasure you. All right, we're going to send them off. No, they're, they're giving really made, look, the truth is, especially recently, their giving has made a huge difference. Yeah. As we continue to reach out into surrounding areas that have been destroyed by the tornado, your giving makes a difference. Yeah. It's enabled us to do that, both your financial giving and those who are, who are ser serving at TKC. And look, if you... People have been asking in our new setup, how do we serve? Well, that's a great question. One of the best ways you can serve is be a part of TKC. Be a part of Thy Kingdom Chrome. It's, it's, uh, you can check it out on Linktree. But there's so many opportunities to meet people where they are. I can't tell you this week as we gave out food. I know Melissa and I were talking about the, 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 the opportunities you have to love people with Jesus. And it helps your perspective in life. Because when you think your life is bad and then you step into a house that is no more, and yeah. it just changes your perspective. Yeah. But thank you for giving. It, ma it makes a difference and changes things. So All right, everybody stand up. Yeah. See what I mean about you can't trust. No, that's All right, so we're going to pray for you, and we're going to pray for two teams to win today, the Eagles and the Colts. Oh, there we go. All right, we'll take both of us. We have to expand our desires here. It's just, it is what it is. All right, Father. Oh, God, I thank you.
thank you for your goodness. I thank you for filling this place with truth that we don't have to fear because you bring it with so much love. And I thank you, God, that you are teaching us how to make that journey from believer to disciple. And God, I pray that you would strengthen everyone, not just today, but this week as they walk into their lives. Oh, Spirit of God, speak to them with just such ferventness about your we, God. I pray that you would teach people as they seek you. And Father, most of all, help us to win. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. God bless you guys. We love you. See you next week.